Welcome to Life and Leadership with Kim Williams. so much for joining me today. For those of you who may be new to the podcast, my name is Kim Williams. I'm a wife, a mom, a nonprofit executive with 27 years of experience, and I'm currently the CEO of Interfaith Family Services, a nonprofit that helps families achieve housing and hope when they're facing homelessness. I'm also the principal and lead consultant of Kim Williams Consulting, a crisis management firm for nonprofits. I started this podcast to provide real talk and real solutions for those issues that nonprofit leaders face. So let's get started, shall we? Today, I want to talk about the real dangers of big donations. All right, so every nonprofit CEO loves securing six and seven figure donations. Those investments are transformational for many of our organizations. They allow us to expand our services and our facilities as well as increase our staff. Additionally, many times it comes in the form of a multi-year grant, typically two to three years. And for those two to three years, things could not be better. We hire new staff, we move into new offices, we invest in existing staff by expanding benefits and training opportunities, we buy new technology, and a lot of additional things. When you secure that six and seven figure gift, life is good until it isn't. Far too many nonprofit CEOs and boards wait until the end of that funding period or the abrupt halt of government grants or contracts to ask themselves, how are we going to maintain and sustain our expanded size without this investment? And so as a result, I've seen organizations that are decades old face closure, not as a result of a bad economy or unfortunate scandal, but because they grew too fast and too chaotically and had no real strategy or sustainability plan in place for after that initial big investment. In fact, it's happening now. I've seen organizations that received COVID-19 relief funding, DEI funding, um, and other Um, kind of key funding that came out two years ago are now reaching out to find how they can continue to serve their clients and retain the staff they hired when that support is no longer available. Then there are other organizations who face the same issues after they've had a successful capital campaign um, that left them with a larger facility and an even larger operating budget. This phenomenon is called donor dependence. So donor dependence occurs when a nonprofit organization becomes overly reliant on either a small number of donations or a single large donation to sustain its operations. While the infusion of funds may provide a short-term boost, it can create an unsustainable model for the organization in the long run. 
So when a nonprofit organization becomes donor dependent, it may struggle to maintain its services or programs if the large donation or donors are no longer available. So we call this phenomenon again, donor dependence. And I understand the risk of donor dependence, not just from the position of being a nonprofit consultant, I understand it from the position of being a nonprofit CEO. You see, my organization, Interfaith Family Services, received substantial Crystal Charity Ball funding. We received COVID-19 relief funding. I also completed a successful $11.5 million capital campaign that increased our annual operating budget by nearly 50%. I could have been... um, at risk for donor dependence because of those large gifts. But what I've done instead is I've been able to triple the number of families that we serve, grow our staff size, consistently meet and exceed our annual revenue, and increase annual reserves as a result of that funding instead of facing decline. Now, I have to say that I've been able to do this Number one, by the grace of God and the favor of God. God's grace and God's favor has had so much to do with these outcomes. And God has also blessed me with a great team as well. So I can't go further into providing tips and tools to defeat donor dependence without first giving glory to God, because honestly, um, all glory goes to him. And I also want to say, though, as I have received the grace of God to walk this out and the favor of God to walk this out, I've also leaned into and listened to the leading of the Lord. And I've used the strategic mind that he's given me to anticipate issues, to create contingencies and devise strategies that would help put us in the best possible position after having received those grants. It's the whole concept of faith without works is dead. God comes through in a big way, but we have to be good stewards and make sure that we're prepared to number one, utilize the funds appropriately, but also make sure that the results of that utilization results in sustainability and long-term success. So with that being said, if you want to know what I did to achieve those high results after receiving the infused, those large infusions of gifts, let's talk about it. Let's talk about five ways to avoid donor dependence. So while researching donor dependence, um, I found that most experts agree that nonprofits can work to avoid donor dependence by diversifying their funding sources, cultivating relationships with a broad base of donors, and implementing sound financial management practices. Everyone pretty much agrees that that's how to avoid it. But what does that look like practically? Well, I recommend five strategies for my clients that really work for me. So the first thing I recommend, strategy number one, is begin working on your fund replacement strategy on day one or in concert with your gift solicitation strategy. You should be thinking about when you're asking for a certain amount of money to do a certain thing, you should not only be thinking about what it would cost to expand programs, what it would cost to move into a new facility, you should be asking yourself what it would cost to keep it and how can I pay that price? 
Because your growth strategy shouldn't just be get me in this place, but how can I sustain it? That's the same reason why when you go to buy a house, you have to qualify for it. They have to know that you can pay the mortgage. The down payment isn't enough. They don't say if you have the down payment for a million dollar house, that's all we need. Good luck to you after you've paid the down payment. No, they want to know that not only can you pay that 20% or however much, but you can pay these payments too. Well, the same thing should be our process when we're trying to solicit a million dollar gift. We should be able to say, not only can I tell you how I would use that million dollars, but I'm going to tell you how I would continue to pay for whatever project or whatever service or whatever facility that million dollars um, afforded me to get. So you should begin working on your fund development replacement strategy in concert with the ask. And your ask should be proportionate to your ability to sustain the project once the funding is over. I'm going to say that again. Your ask should be in proportion to your ability to sustain the project once the program is over or once the project is over. So that's strategy number one. Strategy number two is engage your board in a donor pool expansion strategy that brings more people into existing events and campaigns. So for instance, if you're trying to raise money to expand your services or you're doing a capital campaign, you should tell your board, while I'm raising money for this project, I need you to have you to be simultaneously helping me to build this donor pool. I need you to commit to bringing 20% more guests to our golf tournament or our auxiliary event. I need you to commit to helping us expand our individual donor list by 20% by such and such date. That way there is both dual responsibility and dual partnership and everybody understands what it's going to take to sustain the project and everybody's committed and focused on it. So while you're doing your fundraising campaign for the project, your board, in addition to helping you with that, should also be working on a donor pool expansion strategy or at least your development committee, because typically you'll have like a project committee and then your existing development committee. Your development committee should be working on a donor pool expansion strategy to help you support your major project. Additionally, so so now we'll move to number three. So number one, begin working on your fund replacement strategy as you work on your um, a gift solicitation strategy. Engage your board in a donor pool expansion strategy um, to coincide with whatever campaign um, or gift solicitation project that you're trying to have for a major gift. And so number three is to, if possible, create a revenue generating element to your expansion strategy. So what does that mean? So for us, when looking at our capital campaign, one of the things that we wanted to do was to expand our facilities and add all of these new programs and classrooms and meeting rooms, um, a gym, which we have on site, a professional clothing boutique, a a demonstration kitchen for our moms to learn healthy cooking and meal planning. We had all of these amazing ideas for all of these programs that will require not only additional staff, but additional expenses just to run it. 
But part of the other thing that we needed was childcare to number one, so that the moms could access the services. Um, but also we started thinking adding childcare would be a twofer because we could provide free childcare for parents who couldn't afford it while they were in the program looking for work. But we could also charge for childcare um, for those who could afford it. And after those parents were able to find work, we could receive childcare subsidy to help families, working families in need have um, adequate childcare. So that would provide revenue to help cover the cost of running this brand new facility. So it was really important for us that our capital campaign strategy not only included ways that we were going to raise more funds traditionally, but a large revenue generating component that would help to cover the cost of some of that expansion perpetually in terms of covering the cost of staff, covering the cost of operations. And it really, really worked out beautifully for us. And I know some nonprofits will maybe create an on-site store or a thrift store or have pay for um pay for service when they're in a mixed community where some people can pay for classes and other people can't. Um, they'll rent out rooms. They have different strategies that they can use to create, to generate revenue in addition to their um, just gift solicitation um, strategy for raising funds. So if possible, create a revenue generating element to your, um, your big project. So that was number three. Number four, create a ramp up strategy. So what do I mean by that? I've seen far too many organizations get six and seven figure gifts to expand programs. And day one, they just hire everybody they would need for that project to work. But on day one, they don't have clients. You know, on day one, they don't have standard operating procedures. On day one, they haven't mapped out a training plan for these new employees. On day one, those new employees don't have a plan plan of work with goals and um, timelines and the things they need to be productive as soon as possible after being hired. So you have all of this staff but you also have this large, sometimes three to, I've seen up to 12 months of kind of lull time before the organization or the project is fully operational where you have all this payroll, but no clients, no programs, um, no revenue. And so you've spent money before you had the ability to actually do the work. So I always recommend that you have a ramp up strategy where you may hire the leader first, just one leader to create the training plan, to create the plan of work, to determine how he or she will utilize the staff so that any support staff that's hired after that can come in and get to work. Um, And that support staff is hired in proportion to or in alignment with the number of clients. So for instance, if an organization thinks they need four um, case managers to serve 200 clients, each case manager has 50 clients, we don't hire all four case managers when we start. We hire one case manager, get the 50 clients, then hire the next one, let them get 50 clients and so on. So you're using less money until you have maxim- the maximum ability to serve. And that's a great way to save to save that money and that investment um, so that you're not spending too fast. So I think a ramp up strategy 
to ensure that you have the infrastructure necessary to really utilize what is often the greatest expense, and that's people um, when they come in. All right, so that's number four. Number five is to streamline your services annually in alignment with your fund replacement strategy. So let's say you get a million-dollar grant, um, and so in addition to your initial cost, and it's a three-year grant, your your what you'll need at the end of that three years is an additional $200,000 a year to sustain the program. And so you have a revenue replacement strategy to increase revenue by $75,000 year one, $125,000 year two, $200,000 year three, so that by year four, when that, fund, when that um, initial funding is no longer available, you have the ability to sustain the program. But year one, instead of raising $75,000, you only raised $25,000. Well, when if you see begin to see the writing on the wall, I always recommend that at the end of each year of that you're piling in a program, you streamline the program in alignment with your abilities to support it. So in other words, if you've promised a, a, a funder that you have this three-year project, Year one, we're going to serve 50 clients. Year two, we're going to serve 100 clients. Year three, we're going to serve 150 clients. But you can see that by the end of that term, you're not going to be able to sustain it. You may need to go back through and say, well, year one, we're going to serve 50 clients. Year two, we're going to serve 50 clients. And we're going to focus our energy on being able to serve more as our ability um, to sustain the project grows. So make sure that you're growing in proportionate to your ability to sustain that growth, in other words. Okay, so those are my five tips. Begin, number tip number one, begin working on your fund replacement strategy on day one of your initial investment or prior to it. Um, if you're thinking about soliciting a big gift, solicit the gift in proportion to your ability to sustain it afterwards. Number two, engage your board on a donor pool expansion strategy um, that can coincide with your ability to replace that initial investment. Tip three, if possible, create a revenue generating element. Tip four, create a ramp up strategy that allows you to strategically spend as the program goes, as it grows, I mean, instead of just spending a whole lot at the front end without the customer base or the client base to support it. Step five, streamline your services annually um, in alignment with your ability to, to create fund replacement funds or just to create more efficiency. So I know I've said a lot. I know it seems like a lot of work. I know I've probably taken the fun out of getting a million-dollar gift or a $10 million gift or a $100,000 gift. But here's the thing. Growth is only as good as your ability to sustain it. So this is a part of, like I tell my the people I coach and, and consult with all the time, This is what being a CEO really means. It means having vision. It means having foresight. It means weighing the risk and growing at the level and at the pace that you can reasonably sustain it. 
maximizing the resources that you currently have, being a good steward over those so that God can trust and bless you with that next level. That's what growth looks like. Finally, let me end with a little, little bit of kind of insight and hopefully some encouragement. So you may be thinking, if this is how you prepare for large gifts, why don't more leaders take the measures to prevent donor dependence? Um, And you said, maybe you're saying, maybe it's knowledge. I didn't know any of these things. And that's true. That's the issue for a lot of people. But often it's not just uh, knowledge, it's also ego. You see, when a CEO lands a six or seven figure gift, she's a hero. When he hires the extra um, staff that his team has been asking for for years, he's a hero. When she adds benefits, expands the office, buys new technology, she's the best. So how does this new CEO or how does this successful CEO convince her already hardworking development team who just secured a really large gift that they need to ramp up their efforts over the next two to three years to raise even more? And how does this CEO if those sustainability funds don't come in, how does she then go from adding all of these wonderful services and staff to making reductions, eliminating expenses, or even reducing office space? It's hard to go from being a hero one year to two to three years later being a budgetary hatchet man. I get it. But that's why it's important to go into the gift solicitation process with your eyes wide open, having a sustainability strategy in place, as well as a contingency plan in your back pocket. However, even if you're on the downslope of donor dependence and you didn't do the work up front or you didn't even know to do it, don't allow your pride or worries about what other people think to keep you from doing what's best for your organization and the people you serve. Sometimes you have to take a step back before you can take a step forward. And I promise you that if you give your clients the choice between cutting back and closure, they're going to choose cutting back every time. So I always tell my clients, you have to be willing to do what's difficult to achieve what's great. So as you consider your next large gift. I want you to be brave, be bold, be brilliantly strategic, because that's what being a boss is all about. And if you need a little help, I'm here for you. You can get daily inspiration by following me on Facebook or Instagram at Change with Kim or to learn more about my crisis management and change management services, visit kimwconsulting.com. Finally, remember, change is inevitable, but changing for the better isn't. So please change wisely. Thank you all for listening.